America. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Good afternoon, my fellow Americans. Welcome back to America First. I'm your host, JWR. We have a few things to talk about today, but before we get into that, we have our weekly segment of Today in History. Today in History, in 1992, FBI HRT sniper Lon Horiuchi shoots and kills Vicki Weaver during an 11-day siege at her home at Ruby Ridge, Idaho. On to the news. First up. Uh, the team of forensic auditors in Arizona are set to release their preliminary report on fraud in the 2020 election next week. According to reports Sunday, state auditors will release their early findings this uh, the week of August 22nd. The preliminary report is expected to show data and election discrepancies found in Mar Maricopa County that they have analyzed to uh, that they have analyzed to date. Meanwhile, auditors have yet to examine internet routers and voting machines under subpoenas by the state Senate. Republican State Senate Wendy Rogers said other states can now use Arizona's experience to conduct their own audits. The media is beside itself because they, they won't communicate the truth of the excruciating detail to which this analyst, analysis was done, she stated. 2.1 million ballots. This is a package-able effort. This is a transportable, usable, again, in other states project that you can take. Arizona Attorney General Mark Brnovich is now expected to enforce the subpoenas to acquire the routers, voting machines, and other evidence from the Maricopa Board of Supervisors and Dominion Voting Systems. Up next, we have strict vaccine requirements in California has led healthcare workers to push back against the mandate. During a protest Monday, nurses from the Golden State came together outside the state capitol in Sacramento to show their opposition of the mandate. The demonstration came after Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom said earlier this month that state and healthcare workers would need to prove full vaccination or be tested at least once per week. An, intent, an, an, an attendee, there we go, of the protest, uh, Sacramento nurse Carly Rin, Rinaldi said it's upsetting to hear fellow nurses be given an ultimatum over their job. Meanwhile, nurse Laura Estrella from Modesto also weighed in by, not, uh, by noting she wants the same rights as her patients. The principle of forcing a vaccine on someone who goes against everything we've ever been taught as nurses, stated Estrella. When patients come in for uh, when patients come in for procedures, we give them the choice whether or not to submit to the procedure. We're recommending the uh, and so they have the right to refuse. That's in, uh, that's in their patient consent form, and we just want that same right. Additionally, she stressed. That nurses should be or should have the right to decide while asserting it's somebody's personal choice whether to receive the vaccine or not. You know, if we feel the vaccine is not right for us, we should be able to make that decision for our own body, Estrella continued. We never gave up medical uh, uh, autonomy to anyone else. We have autonomy over 
our own bodies to give ourselves what we feel is proper medical treatment for our condition. And if we don't want the vaccine, we shouldn't have to take it. As the California state gover uh, government shows little sign of easing up on any such mandates. However, several organizers of Monday's protest said they plan to rally until, until they feel they are being heard. Staying with the subject of COVID, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis unveiled his latest plan to combat COVID-19, which includes opening antibody treatment sites. In the announcement Monday, the Republicans said the site at Camping World Stadium in Orlando will be able to treat 320 patients a day free of charge. DeSantis said he wants to use every tool at his dispense to protect the people of Florida. We've spoken to different systems and asked them of your admitted patients for COVID, what percentage of them had received a mono, mono, uh, monoclonal antibody prior to being admitted. He explained, and they say, well, over 90% of their current emissions did not get the monoclonal antibody treatment. So that is a tool in the toolbox that really needs to be used. The, Orla uh, the Orlando Center will also be open seven days a week with the goal of reducing hospitalizations in the state. We've really... We've really, I think, identified over the last couple weeks one thing that just wasn't known enough in terms of, you know, what do you do when you get a positive test of COVID-19, DeSantis stated. And basically, early treatment with these monoclonal antibodies, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, uh, Regeneron and others have proven to radically reduce the chance that somebody ends up being hospitalized. The Florida governor said they there are plans uh, to open up other COVID antibody centers so people have an easier time finding treatment. Uh, he, uh, he then credited President Donald Trump by explaining that he's the reason treatments are free for Floridians. The, Re uh, the Regeneron, just so everyone knows, is free, DeSantis explained. The Trump administration basically just bought all of the mono monoclonal antibodies once they were being developed so it does not cost the state of florida anything to get here it does not cost the patients any money to receive it aside from camping world stadium there is an additional antibody site open in jacksonville for covid positive patients to seek treatment more in florida sticking with that same subject Health officials in, Florida, in a Florida county are alerting residents of very concerning coronavirus levels in their wastewater. On Monday, the director of Orange County Utilities in Florida, Ed Torres, claimed there is a 600% increase of COVID-19 RNA concentration in the local wastewater. Torres said the number comes from uh, sampling, which began in mid-May. Or Orange County is actively participating in the CDC National Wastewater Surveillance where concentration of SARS-CoV-2 RNA are being monitored in the wastewater through facilities around the country to better understand the spread of the virus, Torres explained. He warned the data predicts hospitals could see more COVID cases and hospitalizations this week, Torres added, having advance notice on where to expect the uptick in illness can help health officials prepare resources ahead of time to help combat the spread. 
What we measure in the wastewater are fragments of the virus that are known uh, that are known contagious, non-viable, that provide us with an advanced warning and uh, serves as a uh, predictor. Predictor. Sorry, I don't know why I couldn't say that word. Serves as a predictor of upcoming cases within the coming four to ten days or so. He stated. Similar wastewater surveillance programs are being used around the world as a very effective tool against the fight against the pandemic. Determining spikes, trends, and allocating of resources and public health preventative measures. In the meantime, Torres urges residents to get vaccinated and continue taking proper precautions to contain the spread. Last thing we have on the subject for this week, anyway. I know everybody's tired of hearing about it, but... It's the news. As students prepare to return to campus, several universities said they are requiring mandatory vaccination. Quinnipiac? Quinnipiac? Q-U-I-N-N-I-P-I-A-C? University in Connecticut announced in an email on Monday that students who aren't vaccinated without exemption could see up to a uh, $2,275 fee for not complying. Along with the fine, students have the potential to also lose access to Wi-Fi and campus networks. Meanwhile, students have until September 14th to fulfill the requirement or face consequences. West Virginia Wesleyan College uh, has implemented a similar protocol. The university revealed they will now require all unvaccinated students to pay a one-time non-refundable fee of $750. Those particular students will also be required to undergo mandatory weekly testing while, of course, always wearing masks. Dr. James Moore explained the fee would be used to cover expenses that come with increasing test increased testing and other resources that the college will have to utilize to deploy to keep every student safe. In June, Rhodes College in Tennessee was the first to mention plans of charging unvaccinated students a fee of $1,500 a semester. Additionally, many colleges have begun a trend of handing out incentives for students to get the vaccine. The, uh, the incentives include receiving laptops, gift certificates, or even help with tuition. In the meantime, schools like the University of Connecticut have been have seen backlash from students who have already filed a lawsuit against their vaccine mandates for the upcoming school year. Now, on to the next, finally. Something that doesn't have to do with COVID. <laughs> Discussion has continued regarding the Voting Rights Advancement Act amid growing Republican opposition. The Subcommittee on the Constitution, Civil Rights, and Civil Liberties held a hearing regarding the Act and any potential legislative reforms on Monday. The Act attempts to reverse the 2013 Supreme Court case Shelby County v. Holder, where the High Court determined that the federal government did not have the authority to single out certain states and districts for the purpose of electoral oversight. When taking such extraordinary steps as subjecting state legislation to preclearance in Washington and applying that regime only to some disfavored states, Congress must ensure that the legislation is pa it passes speaks to current conditions, stated John Roberts, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. The controversial act would bring back the section of the Voting Rights Act that the Supreme Court struck down, Section 5, and would give the green light to the federal government to require certain states get approval 
from the federal government before changing voting laws. Louisiana Representative Mike Johnson said the Democrats' attempt to change stating uh, to change states' voting rights amount to an un- unconstitutional power grab. While White, uh, while House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has all but confirmed the act will pass through the House, Republicans in the Senate are likely to kill it by filibuster. Next up, a little trip overseas. U.S. air operations have resumed in Kabul while U.S. forces assist in in evacuating Americans and Afghan refugees. The Pentagon gave an update Tuesday confirming the U.S. flew in nine C-17 aircraft to the airport in Kabul overnight to deliver equipment and 1,000 troops. Additionally, uh, seven of the aircraft departed with up to 800 passengers, including more than 160 American citizens. Major General Hank Taylor reiterated their mission is to facilitate the safe evacuation of U.S. citizens and Afghan Afghans at risk. As that part of the force flow uh, concludes, the speed of evacuation flights will pick up, he stated. We're looking at one aircraft per hour into, into and out of HKIA. We predict that our best effort could look like 5,000 to 9,000 passengers departing per day. I want to reinforce that we are focused on the uh, present mission to facilitate the safe evacuation of U.S. citizens, SIVs, and Afghans at risk uh, to get these personnel out of Afghanistan as quickly and safely as possible, Hank continued. That mission has not changed. Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby said more than 4,000 U.S. troops will be at the airport in Kabul by the end of the day. He added there have been no hostile threats from the Taliban amid the evacuations. More on that on the Afghan front. Democrats are now putting their feet down on Joe Biden's handling of the Taliban's rapid takeover in Afghanistan. This week, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced the House Foreign Affairs Committee will hold a series of hearings with high-level officials in the Biden administration. Representative Gregory Meeks uh, said it's imperative Secretary of State Anthony Blinken Blinken, uh, and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin testify before the committee to give transparency on the situation. This comes as many Democrats begin to shift blame to the Biden administration on how they have failed to act fast in getting the remainder of Americans off the ground. The hearings are expected to take place following the August recess. Meanwhile, a new poll shows overall support for military intervention in Afghanistan is dropping. That's according to an uh, APNORC poll, uh, which reflects nearly two-thirds of Americans uh, said the battle in Afghanistan is not worth fighting. Similar numbers were also reported for the idea of troops remaining in Iraq. Overall, a slim majority of people said they disapprove of how Biden is handling foreign policy, with 46% of voters voicing their disapproval of how he's handling national security. Another poll found a rising number of Americans are not buying Biden's attempt or attempts to blame 45th President Donald Trump for the disastrous Afghan pullout. According to a Daily Wire survey, Thursday, 30%, uh, 36% of Americans said Biden is fully responsible for the chaos and deaths during U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. Only one, only 21% blamed Trump, while 29% of the res, uh, respondents said it's neither Trump's nor Biden's fault. 
The poll also found 84% of Americans are concerned about possible consequences of Biden's mishandling of Afghan pullout. Hello, my fellow Americans. It's me, JWR, just chiming in to tell you about our new merch line. If you go to redbubble.com and look up America First Podcast, you'll find multiple items with our logo on it. Any and all purchases will go to bettering the podcast and to some charities. But uh, yeah, just check it out. We got shirts, bags, stickers, pins, cups. But uh, anyway, again, this has been JWR from America First. And thanks for tuning in. And thank you for your support. On to the next kind of a, a back step. I missed this one. My apologies. It has to do with the COVID thing. Uh, California guberna- uh, g- uh, gubernatorial candidate Larry Elder, who is running as a Republican, has vowed to lift face mask and vaccine mandates if he wins in the recall election next month. In a series of re- uh, recent statements, Elder said he would suspend all COVID-19 mandates in the Golden State immediately after taking office as governor. He stressed the vaccines work, which means masks and mandates are redundant. Elder said people must assume responsibility for their own health choices, meaning vaccinations must be encouraged but not mandated. He added the values of freedom and liberty are equally as important as public health. He made a statement. He said, I would encourage people to get vaccinated. I would not make it a mandate. I think this is this is uh, this is America. And I think a lot of people, for whatever reason, do not want to be vaccinated, either because they don't feel the vaccine has been thoroughly tested because they feel it was approved on an emergency basis. They don't want to be pushed around. That was a statement. Polls show roughly half of Californians support the recall of Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom due to his draconian lockdowns, crippling economic policies, and a raging homeless crisis. The recall election is slated for September 14th. All right, moving on. The U.S. economy likely created 166,000 fewer jobs in the 12 months through March than previously estimated, the Labor Department's Bureau of Labor Statistics said on Wednesday. The reading is a preliminary estimate of the BLS annual benchmark revision to the closely watched payrolls data. The leisure and hospitality sector, which was hardest hit by the COVID-19 pandemic, accounted for the bulk of the revision with employment growth revised down by 597,000 or 4.6%. Leisure and hospitality employment is 1.7 million below its peak in February 2020. Through the industry, though the industry has led the labor market recovery from the pandemic. It is somewhat ambiguous what this means for fu- uh, for future employment in the sector beyond March 2021, said Daniel Silver, an e- economist at J.P. Morgan in New York. This could suggest that more jobs need to be added to return closer to pre-pandemic levels, but also that the pandemic-related hit to that sector was more severe or and or longer lasting than previously reported. But the transportation and warehousing sector added 247 
1,900 more jobs than previously thought, while professional and business services payrolls were revised up by 214,000. Government employment was, uh, was raised by 255,000 jobs. Once a year, the BLS compares its non-farm payrolls data based on monthly surveys of a sample of employers with a much more complete database of unemployment insurance tax records. A final benchmark provision will be released in February along with the BLS report on employment for January. Government statistic uh, Statisticians, statisticians, the guys who do the uh, statistics, will use the final benchmark count to revise payroll data for months both prior to and after March. And finally, our final subject, a bit of a downer this one is, uh, a California wildfire has doubled in size overnight destroying a small community. What's been named the Colder Fire in Northern California exploded in size, consuming a forest community as firefighters continued to combat the blaze. Reports said the fire was sparked on Saturday in El Dorado County by about 80 miles east of Sacramento and started small but was pushed by strong winds. However, the blaze exploded in size from Tuesday into Wednesday. It grew from around 22,000 acres to around 54,000 and prompted evacuations of nearby communities. So far, there's been no, a zero containment. The town of Grizzly Flats, which is home to around 1,200 people, was caught up in the flames. As authorities said, at least 50 homes in the area had burned. The fire also destroyed a local post office and the nearby Walt Tyler L. More than 35,000 people have been forced to evacuate as wildfires continue to blaze across Northern California. Thousands of firefighters are spread across the Golden State as they work the front lines to battle more than a dozen blazes. California's Dixie Fire continues to rapidly grow more than a month after it sparked, marking the second largest wildfire in state history. The several blazes, including the Calder Fire in El Dorado County and Trinity Counties, McFarland Fire, which also uh, and Trinity County's McFarland Fire, which also continue to grow as gusty winds and dry conditions cause unprecedented fire behavior, are unpredicted. No, it's unprecedented fire behavior. Sorry, second so guess myself. Leaving destruction in their path, the fires have decimated thousands of structures. The Calder Fire, for instance, left the entire town of Grizzly Flats to dust, according to California Fire. California's 2020 wildfire season was one of the most severe, scorching more than 4.2 million acres and, and destroying over 10,000 structures. Meanwhile, more than 1.3 million acres have burned since the start of 2021. Our thoughts and hearts go out to them. You guys out there in California, if you're listening, stay safe. Evacuate if necessary. Don't stay like some people do. Uh, can't risk. Don't risk your lives out there. You know, stay safe. And uh, we'll keep you posted on uh, how it goes. But uh, that's all we have this week. Thank you for listening in on today's episode. Be sure to check out previous episodes to stay up to date and follow us on Twitter 
at capital S lowercase C M B A G capital N. Also, uh, we just we have a donation thing. You don't have to. I'm just saying. Uh, any and all profits, including sponsor revenue and viewer donated revenue, will be donated to the Serious Fund Network for Disabled Kids. So if you decide to donate to us, you know where your money is going. But until the next time, America, I've been your host, JWR. And remember, stay informed, stay involved, and keep America first. <laughs>